The Last Word with Matt Cooper. It's Cusher Club time and we're joined today by a guest you've heard many times on The Last Word over the last few decades, even going back to my predecessor, Eamon Dunphy's time. Brendan Ogle, trade union leader, but also a committed activist. Uh, Brendan, thank you very much for joining us. Of course, earlier this year, I did a magnified podcast with you as well, and we played an extract here in The Last Word from it. People might like to go back and check it out if they haven't already heard it. But I spoke to you at the time about your cancer. Everything okay now with your health-wise? Yeah, uh, thanks, Matt. Good evening. Um, yeah, everything's good. I have a few uh, tribulations in my life in relation to work, but I can't talk about them at the moment. Because that's all my, legal, isn't it? Yeah, the legal advice and all that. The rest of my life is going uh, going quite well. The health is quite good. I've, I have a new woman in my life uh, this year. Um, she's, she's, she's very energetic, very, very beautiful, keeps me on my toes, requires a lot of exercise. Um, so her name is Frida. She's what's called a walker beagle, which is a mix between a beagle and uh, a coon hound. We got her from the very good people at Clare Animal Welfare. You do love your music and your books and your movies and stuff, which is one of the reasons why we've asked you to join us today. So, first single is what we ask everybody, particularly somebody of your age category. So, can you remember what it was? Will you admit to it? My, my 30s, is that what you mean, Matt? Um, yeah, well, I was only 14. And That's very late for buying your first single. Uh, not, not when you came from where I came from, a dog. I was a football kid. I had football boots and a football and all that sort of stuff. And I had a denim jacket, which was bequeathed to me by one of my older brothers, I think. And somebody gave me a, a Gillen badge to stick in the denim jacket. And I didn't know who Gillen was. I was 14. I was pretending I knew more than I knew. So I thought I'd better go out and get a record um, to convince my friends that I was a metalhead or something, which I wasn't. Um, so I went out, and my first record I remember was in a song called Nightmare by Gillen in, in 1981. Um, yeah. I'm going to see if I actually know this. Let's hear it. Is that Ian Gillen from Deep Purple? Yeah, I think so. You it think sounds, so? You're not convinced? It sounds better than I remember. <laughs> it, it's improved in the last 40 years. But that was the era I, I grew up in. But as I said, you know, uh, I think kids at that age, boys anyway, boys at that age, are generally either, you know, more into sport or more into music. Uh, and I was more likely to be found out in the field kicking a ball around. I, I was I was a, I was a referee actually. I became a referee very young. I think I was the youngest ever Leinster League referee. I became a. a, a what prompted you to do that? 
I got a, uh, I'm going to give you so, this out the odd, oh, I got an injury which ruined my career story now. <laughs> I tore ligaments in my ankle as a kid and, uh, you know, so uh, I, I was never going to make it into the Dundalk or the Ireland team. And I had a friend who was a League of Ireland referee in Dundalk, Dinny McArdle, uh, a very famous referee actually back in the day. Uh, and there was a winter league in Dundalk and I started refereeing matches. Uh, I was 16 and I was refereeing lads in their 20s, 30s and, and even older. And um, then Denny thought I was quite good at it. So he recommended that I'd done some training and I did the rules courses with him. And then I became a registered Leinster Senior League referee. And I remember the first match I ever refereed in the Leinster Senior League. Bizarrely, for the Leinster Senior League, it was in Monaghan, Monaghan Town. I remember St. Davenitz was one team, that's a hospital team. I don't know who the other team were, but I do remember I sent off four players in my first match. So You uh, lost control of the game, so? No, I had tight control of the game. <laughs> players lost control of the game. Does that suggest an authoritarian streak absolutely, in your part? Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't suggest anything else. <laughs> OK, we'll get back to football later with one of your favourite books. But uh, tell me what your favourite album that you're going for is. Yeah, and you know, I was having a little listen in this coming in the car, and it's been re-released now. Uh, in fact, I think it's in the IFI at the moment. Oh, it's a concert movie. Yeah, it's it's a movie actually. Yeah, it's it's not a music album at all. It's a movie by Talking Heads, uh, David Byrne calls uh, Stop Making Sense. Very, very famous. 16 tracks. Some really well-known tracks. Uh, Girlfriend is Better and things like that. But every track is just one one, one classic after the other. And I was in London uh, soon after this came out. Um, one, of, one of my best friends, still one of my best friends, Kieran Lennon, got this. He was more music head than me. Got this on a, an old VHS. So we used to be having a few pints and we'd come home and be thrown out of the pubs. Pubs in, England, pubs in England closed too early, you know. So we'd come home and put on the VHS and open a few bottles and we'd put this on night after night after night Is after night. Is that the move I'm trying to remember back? He comes out with a big boombox on comes stage out, comes out and he's wearing recorder. a big oversized suit and starts dancing it's around so, it. So he comes out with a tape recorder, just him and a tape recorder. Yeah. And that's the first. And then it builds up. Band members come on, and then the next song, more band members coming on. And by the end, it's a performance. It's a piece of performance art, yeah. actually. The dancing, he's got the matinee suits, he's swinging out of lampshades. It's, it's absolutely fabulous. I, I, and it's great that it's been remastered and shown again. It'll open, it'll open it to a new generation. I'll, I'll go and see it myself. Absolute classic, track to track. Let's hear one of those tracks, Burning Down the House.
brilliant talking heads, David Byrne from the album Stop Making Sense. Apparently he played a gig post-COVID here in Dublin, which I missed, which apparently was just still, he still has it as a performance artist. Got you dancing there, man. Bouncing on my big exercise <laughs> ball here indeed. Okay, I'm surprised though by your favourite band or artist, given that you've already mentioned the likes of Madness and the Mods and you've played Talking Heads and David Byrne. I wouldn't have expected you to go for Queen. Well... <laughs> I suppose the first one of the first albums, but maybe the first album I ever bought, or maybe it was bought for me, was uh, Queen's Queen's first graded hits album. There are there are two, and really, I love showmen. David Byrne is a showman, and if there's ever been a greater showman in pop music than Freddie Mercury, I haven't seen him. Um, Freddie Mercury, nineteen eighty-five, Live Aid, um, Bono. You two made, well, it wasn't a debut, they were quite big at the time, but they made a fantastic performance. But Queen stole the show in Live Aid in 1985. Freddie Mercury's performance is just like, you know, you it's another one of those things. Sometimes I just come home from the pub and get out, put on YouTube and the telly and just sit down with a few beers and watch the whole performance. So Queen, four great guys, uh, Brian May, great guitarist, but it's Freddie on stage, really is the thing and you know his life encapsulated so much ended far too soon um, but yeah my dad I remember my dad used to say when I was growing up about ABBA my dad used to say ABBA never had a bad song and that was my dad's generation you know I'd say the same for Queen Queen never had a bad song the one we're going to play is from the 1984 album The Works I Want to Break Free Free Brendan Ogle's choice of favourite band or artist. So, best gig. And I envy you this one because if there's one band I haven't seen that I would like to have seen, it's Pearl Jam. And you've nominated Pearl Jam from Hyde Park in London. When was that? Last summer. Uh, the BST Festival, uh, last June 2022. I've seen Pearl Jam a few times. 
Um, the first time I seen them live was in Palace San Jordi in Barcelona, which is a, an indoor. Um, and Pearl Jam, there's such a bang off them. They, they raised the roof in an indoor venue. But they were the lead act in the BST Festival in Hyde Park uh, in July 2022, uh, supported by Johnny Marr, the Pixies, uh, Imelda May. Um, I kind of missed out on the, the grunge thing in Seattle in the 1990s. It wasn't really my thing, but I really enjoyed them live. They're, they're elfless uh, and they've got amazing energy. Eddie Vedder's voice is incredible. Uh, and I also like something else Eddie Vedder does in, in the music arena. I mean, get to that yeah, in a minute. get to that in a minute. But uh, Mike McCready is a guitarist. Um, they're jumping around there like teenagers, le- leaping off stages, leaping up and down in trees, all sorts of uh, a carry on. The two days were absolutely great, scorching London weather. Um, and because it was a festival, they were playing all of the popular tracks. We were lucky enough to have good tickets. We got backstage. We were in with the 10 Club, which is the Pearl Jam fanboys and girls. Um, so, but they're really nice people because... Um, Sorry, I would have thought that you wouldn't have agreed to exclusivity and access to bands like that as such a man of the people. You're completely wrong about that, man. <laughs> somebody, if somebody wants to give me a ticket to go to a gig and it's got a better seat than... than, than, than uh, I, you know, there's nothing too good for a working class. Mate. That's my <laughs> So yeah, it was a festive. It was a, f- a fantastic couple of days. We went to both. We were playing for two days, and we went to both days. Um, and as I say, the sun never stopped shining, and you know it was great. Johnny Ma was great as well. And as I say, because it was a festival, they sang uh, most of the, the, the main songs that we be well known: Jeremy, Real View Mirror, Better Man, that sort of stuff. You know, it was great. But you have another Eddie Vedder concert you want to nominate which you saw in New Jersey last January as part of his group Earthlings who he shares that with who else? Yeah uh, I've seen it twice actually we went to I went this was a special trip because you already talked about my illness I was after just getting really good news um, on that front and myself and Mandy and the two girls Darren and Kate went to New York uh, in February 2022 and Earthlings is, uh, I suppose you call it, it's an Eddie Vedder side project. You could call it a super group. Um, Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Josh Kinghoffer, also from the Chili Peppers, um, Chris Cheney, uh, and Andrew Watt, who's a producer and a guitarist. Um, and my very good friend, Glenn Hansard, uh, opens up and also plays with the Earthlings. So there, there is a, there is a, a, there was an album. They played in Harlem in the first, I forget, forget the name of that venue, uh, in Harlem. But then we went to the, see them in the New Jersey pack the second time around and it was fabulous. We, and then we went to meet them. We went to meet them for a cup of coffee one day, um, and met Chad Smith and all that sort of stuff. So the girls really loved that, you know, meeting the drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers like. So, um, it was a fantastic trip. And I've seen Glenn and Eddie. Glenn and Eddie are really good friends and they do a lot of work together. And I've seen them playing together, just the two of them in the Tree Arena and in various locations. And, you know, for a rock guy, when, 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 when Eddie's playing with Glenn, he really kind of, it's more soulful. There's a better range to his voice, I think. Uh, and they really bounce off each other really, really good. And we took we two great gigs. Let's hear them performing as Earthlings. This is Society from a gig played in the New Jersey Performing Arts Centre.
Start performing as the Earthlings. Glenn, of course, was very involved with you, wasn't he, in the Home Sweet Home campaign? He was, of course, yeah. That's a great clip. Well done for finding that, guys. I was there that night. That's a fantastic clip to have, have, have dug out. Yeah, yeah, Glenn was, Glenn was very much involved in that. Uh, and what was special about that, and I'm Glenn won't mind me saying this either, what was special about that trip was, um, as I say, we met up for a cup of coffee between the gigs, and that was the day that Glenn told me that him and his new wife were expecting their, their first child, who's now with us, little Christy. Uh, and Glenn has a new album coming out at the end of October so looking forward to hearing that and maybe jumping on a plane and going to see that somewhere and hopefully a good seat Matt if it's, no, if it's okay with you <laughs> <laughs> We need to take a break Brendan Ogle, that well known socialist and trade union activist <laughs> who loves living the high life will be giving us the rest of his choices in the Culture Club when we come back Welcome back Brendan Ogle is with us for the Culture Club today we've had all his music choices we've lots of other great choices to get through uh, starting with movies and you've picked a real 1970s classic for your favourite movie Ah, yeah. The old ones are the best, I think. I could watch this. I have watched this. I couldn't tell you many times I've watched this. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's uh, Jack Nicholson, my favourite actor anyway. Um, but And he's, he's probably my favourite actor largely because of this film, but everything he's done since is of a similar quality. And, and this film, what really gets me about this film, and actually, you know, there's a kind of a thread here as I was thinking about this after I got the call last week, it's it's a really it's a really sad uh, film. It's about mental health. Everybody that's seen it, it's about mental health. It's based about, on a great book by Ken Casey. Yeah. Well worth reading. I haven't read as the well. book. Actually, oh, the book yeah. is terrific. Uh, but it's so funny as well, and there's such there's light moments in it. Now it's a dark humor. There's light moments in it where where, where Jack Jack Nicholson as as a patient of the mental health hospital, and then of course the fantastic uh, nurse Ratchet Louise Fletcher. Uh, sneaks off with all the patients on a, on, a, on a boating trip to do some fishing and you know Danny DeVise was in it I think and yeah. so, some of the some of the escapades you know are, are both wildly hilarious and desperately dangerous uh, and it's really sad and it's really dark and there's real real insights into what was going on in mental health facilities at that time in terms of the sort of treatment used to restrain people and medicate people and then it, it ends in a really hopeful uh, way where a character called, known as the Chief, a native Indian, uh, basically throws a marble sink through the window of the hospital and just walks free. Uh, and it seems from the, the way the film ended that he was the quietest person in the whole movie. It seems from the way the film ended that he was locked up for all the wrong reasons and, and wasn't fit to be there at all. So a, a really br- brilliant film. If anybody hasn't seen it, and I doubt there's anybody hasn't seen it, but if there is, there's probably someone somewhere. You have to see this movie. Let's hear a clip from it with Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher. Well, Mr. McMurphy, what you're asking is that we change a very carefully worked out schedule 
little change never hurt, huh? A little variety. Well, it's not necessarily true, Mr. McMurphy. You know, some men on the ward take a long, long time to get used to the schedule. Change it now and they might find it very disturbing. They can go back to the schedule after the series. I'm talking about the World Series, Nurse Ranchy. <laughs> huh? Well, anyway, this is no way to proceed about this. How would it be if we had a vote and let majority rule? Great. Let's vote on her. So, all those in favor, raise your hands. Okay, guys, come on. Put your hands up. What's the matter with you? Do you want to watch the World Series? Come on, get your hands up. It can do you some good to get some exercise, putting your arms up in the air. That's it. Come on, let's... What is this crap? I mean, I, am, I watch the series, I watch, I haven't missed the series in years, even in the cooler, when I'm in the cooler, they run in there, they have a riot. What's the matter with you guys? Come on, be good Americans. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Favourite book? You're big into history books, I believe. Yeah, well, look, I'm always reading. Um, and this was a hard one. This was possibly the hardest one. Um, and I was looking through the bookshelves. Um, I read a lot of history. Anthony B. I love Anthony Beaver's writings. Um, he used to read sort of the wars from the 30s yeah, and the 40s. Done everything. He? His book on the Spanish Civil War, I think, is possibly his best work. Spanish, because of World War II, the Spanish Civil War is generally not as commented or reported yes. on as. And he, he's done a masterpiece, including, by the way, our own little intervention into it um, when the founder of Fine Gael went over to see could he fight and found out he couldn't. Um, Ono Duffy and more of them came home and went out actually. Quite amazing feat. Uh, that's actually in the book. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, and he's also done major works on Hitler and the Nazis. He's done two two works to sit side by side. First, the rise of the Nazis up to 1939 before the war, and then a major one about the war and the aftermath of the war. It's very hard going. He's done Arnhem. He's done Stalingrad. Stalingrad, uh, the Normandy landings. I visit the Normandy beaches. I'm very much into that sort of stuff. Um, so I do a lot of reading in that area. Um I have three books going at the moment. I'm reading about Boris Johnson and Number Ten. That's a, that's that's fun. I don't know if it's supposed to be fun, but it is. Doing a lot of reading about uh, Putin lately. I'm re- reading a book that's called not fun. Overreach at the moment. A very insightful. I wish everybody on the left would do a bit of what read a bit about what Putin's been up to for the last twenty years. By the way, it might do the left a bit of good. Um, and I'm reading a book about Socrates, the footballer, Doctor Socrates. No, does it actually does it bury the myth that he was in Royal College of Surgeons and played for the Shelburne Reserves as League of Ireland player? Doesn't bury that myth. No, it doesn't deal with it. So it doesn't <laughs> deal with it. I don't think you can consider it buried. <laughs> the myth lives on. Unfortunately, I don't think it's true. Is but it? The, well, the myth lives on, man. And I'm he not was going some to, player. Wasn't I'm he? not going to spook it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Could have won the World Cup in 82. Could have won the World Cup in 82. But the book I'm going to... Zico, Cerzeo and Falcao in midfield. Uh, But they had no centre forward. They had Serginio missing every chance up front. And then Paolo Rossi. Of course, the Italians let Paolo Rossi out of jail in time to score. They were also a great team, in fairness. But also, from around that time, Diego Maradona. And you're going to read a little bit from his autobiography as one of your favourite books. Yeah, it's hard to believe that Diego has you know, an actual autobiography that he wrote himself. But there it is in my hand. Uh, and there's so many swear words in this book, Matt. <laughs> he definitely wrote it himself. Nobody else could possibly have written this book. 
accept Diego Maradona because no ghostwriter would ever put it together. Uh, it's really, really funny. There's a part in it where he goes through 100 players that he has dealt with and he describes them all in the most hilarious way. And I was going to read some of that. But actually, I'm going to read a quote because I want to say something about it. I was in Argentina for the World Cup last year. And I'm going to read a bit at the end, which I think is kind of poignant. Um, and, I'm not, and I don't think I've worked out the way Diego thought it would work out. He's talking basically about the difference between his, his footballers his era of footballers and modern footballers and money and that sort of stuff. Because today footballers make a lot of money without much effort. They don't care as much. They make $20 million for nothing. Christian Vieri, for example, hops from one team to another for more and more millions and he doesn't have a single title to celebrate. So, of course, what are they going to think about with their national squads for? Why would they? They don't need to. And there's nobody going up to them saying, look, kid, if you don't play for your country and then you don't do well for your club, you become a disaster. You'll be worth SHIT. It's all changed when all, it all changed when us oldies left. It wasn't as if we were more intelligent or anything like that. But we did understand that we had to represent the people. That meant we, the representatives, went out to play thinking about our old man, our old girl, our mates, the workers, everyone. And we enjoyed it as much as they did when we heard they were celebrating our triumphs at the Obelisco. Is that a bit unfair to Messi when you consider how much he put into winning the World Cup last year despite how wealthy he is? That's the point I want to make. Diego was dead by then. Yeah. And Diego, obviously, I would have loved if he had been alive to see what happened in Argentina last November. I was in Argentina last November. The outpouring of joy for a country that's practically bankrupt. Absolutely. Um, first of all, they, 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 they did the, the biggest mural in the world to Diego about a month before. Uh, and they put the three stars on the shirt. You'd only get a star if you win the World Cup, but yeah. they put three, uh, three on before the World Cup began. And then they started producing these T-shirts. Well, I have one at home, actually, with Diego kind of up in the top and Messi looking up at him. Um, very spiritual. And the whole country got caught up. So if Diego had anticipated, which he clearly had, that that generation of players uh, would not have the heart to play for the country, to play for the people, to play for their, their communities, to play for their cities, to play for their, their families. He was wrong. Uh, and it would have been fantastic uh, had he managed to, to stay around long enough to see that. I suppose being in Argentina when the World Cup, when they won the World Cup last November is probably one of the, the highlights of, of, of my life, really. Uh, and when he talks about the obelisco, that's kind of like, uh, it's like the spike, except it's better. Um, and it's right in the centre of Buenos Aires and there was I think there was a million and a half there when Argentina came home Jeez you're some globetrotter and we haven't even spoken about your love of Cuba and we won't have the I time to do it I haven't been there for a while Matt OK favourite TV show growing up? Well look there's so many one that came to mind was uh, just because it was on regularly and I liked it Starsky and Hutch um, David Soul, also a fantastic singer by the way Yes. Uh, Paul Michael Glazer and a fella whose name I don't know the actor called Huggy Bear and Huggy Bear would be what we would now call a kind of a drug dealer or a, I don't know a pimp or something but in that era in the 1970s this was acceptable TV and he was a tout for the police Unfortunately I don't have time to play a clip because we're at the end and I do want to get to your buried treasure it's something that you believe people should know more about and we actually have something that we've managed to pick off YouTube from 1972 a speech by a guy called Jimmy Reed. I'm going to play 68 seconds of it and then you can explain it to me we'll 
human beings and people insult us when they talk about our participation in a rat race. Reject the insidious pressures in society that would blunt your critical faculties to all that is happening around you. That would caution silence in the face of injustice lest you jeopardize your chances of promotion and self-advancement. Because this is how it starts. And if you start before you know where you are, you're a fully, a fully paid up member of the rat pack. The price is too high. It entails the loss of your dignity and human spirit. Or as Christ put it, what doth it profit a man if he gain the whole world and suffer the loss of his soul? The Scottish trade union activist, the late Jimmy Reid. Tell us why you've picked that. Well, first of all, the New York Times picked it in 1972, put it on the front page and the inside page of the New York Times and described it as the most important speech since the Gettysburg Address. Um, Jimmy Reid came from a place in Glasgow called Govan uh, at a time when it was known as Red Clydeside. Govan is famous for a few things. The shipyards, Rangers Football Club, the fact that Kenny Dalglish came from there and Jimmy Reid. Uh, Jimmy uh, began life uh, as, a, as a ship worker uh, and in his early days he was a communist he went in on to be a socialist ran for the Labour Party and he ended up in the Scottish National Party he ended up being a journalist he wrote for the, for the Glasgow Heralds he wrote for the Daily Record uh, and he worked in Glasgow University where he made that speech um, and the speech I think you know when I, when I look today I've been watching a bit of the Tory party conference the last few days what's going on across the water the debates about our own budget and all that. And when you look at the, the way politics has gone, the speech is called Alienation. And it's basically a speech in 1972. It's prophetic, which talks about how people who feel that they're not fully involved in society in the decision-making processes, be that electorally, be that in the workplace, uh, it's, very, it's, very, it's very male in gender, but it's 1972. Um, so it's talking about workers as men and politicians as men, unfortunately. But apart from that side of things, I think if anybody looks at that speech and looks at what has happened to the world, and that's what I put in a party badge written on since 1972, looks at the disparity, the inequality, the, the wealth divisions to take place, the homelessness, all that sort of stuff, they look back and, and say, well, you know, Jimmy Reid really had his finger on the pulse. He died in 2010 and, you know, great loss. I unfortunately have to finish. I'm out of time. If you want more Brendan Ogle, by the way, the Magnified podcast is one where you can hear him in a lot more detail. Thank you for taking your time for the Culture Club. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.